For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. You're listening to Eagles Unfiltered. B-A-T-L-E-S, Eagles! This podcast is powered by Eagle Maven of Sports Illustrated. Third down and one. Hurts, beefing, first down, and a touchdown. Here are your hosts, Ed Kraz and Connor Miles. All right, thanks for tuning in to another episode of Eagles Unfiltered, presented by Eagle Maven of Sports Illustrated. I'm your host, Connor Miles, with my co-host, Ed Cross. Ed, you were right there at Rookie Minicamp. You got to meet Nick Sirianni. I actually saw John McMullen put out a picture of Nick Sirianni right in front of you. I sent it to Giovanni. I'm like, look, Ed's with Nick Sirianni. He goes, oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it was it was cool, man. Sirianni came out of the tunnel after his field, or after his players had already taken the field, and uh, he did a little, couple things on the field first for a couple minutes, and then he came right over to all the reporters that were there, probably you know, over a dozen reporters, maybe twenty or so, and he starts fist bumping. Nice to meet you, and you give your name, and yeah, looking forward to working with you. Right down the line, boom, fist bump with Nick Sirianni, introducing us. You know, real uh, surprising move in my opinion. We never saw Chip Kelly do that. Uh, but of course, you know, these are strange times. We would have had all this out of the way had we been able to attend his first press conference, uh, instead of having to do it virtually. But, uh, you know, he did come over and say he's looking forward to working with us and it was a cool thing to do. You know, uh, we'll see how he feels in a couple months once the season gets started, if he's still as, as pumped up to uh, deal with us, but day one, it was cool. That is a cool gesture. I, I, I enjoyed it thoroughly to see that he, he seems like, you know, He's settling in a little bit, I guess I could say. You know, a whole whirlwind of actions happened. You know, he interviewed. I don't Maybe he, who knows? Only Nick Sirianni knows how he felt after that interview. Uh, if he felt like he was going to get the job or not. But boom, he gets the job. He's replacing the Super Bowl winning head coach. His inherited starting quarterback wants to be traded. There's such a whirlwind of stuff going on with the Philadelphia Eagles when Nick Sirianni takes the job that he has to play catch up. And a lot of people judged him for it when he came out of his press conference. They didn't think he was prepared. They thought he was aloof. You know, this guy's a goofball. Now you heard this press conference is opening his press conference rookie minicamp, but it seems like the media is is more warming up to the thought of Nick Sirianni and, and how he presented himself. And everything seems to be settling in. And he seems to, you know, it finally looks to it hit Nick Sirianni that he is the head coach of the Philadelphia Eagles. Yeah, and, you know, I think this was his first, press conference that was just his after that practice on Friday it was just him there wasn't Howie sitting next to him or Andy Weidel sitting two people away it wasn't Jeffrey Lurie in that awkward 15 minute introduction that he gave him when he became the head coach and it was his first presser he kept you know Sirianni sitting in the green room sweating bullets probably thinking about what he was going to say and then he comes out and stumbles all over the place so I think this was the first time a that he was just him 
made him feel more comfortable. And B, or two, whatever it is, he, he was actually on the field with the team. I mean, he was in his element. He wasn't talking about the draft and, you know, this evaluation process. He was actually able to see what he had on the field. So he felt a little bit more comfortable, I think, talking about that. And it was just him. It wasn't him with Roseman, Laurie, Weidel, anybody else. It was just all Nick Sirianni for 20 minutes that he talked. And I thought he was tremendous uh, on that on that Friday. I mean, he didn't ramble on. He got quickly to the point. He didn't repeat himself as much as he has in the past. So, you know, I think this is going to be an evolution off the field of the head coach, but also on the head, on the field as the head coach. You know, there's going to be trials and tribulations in both areas, on and off the field. And it's a matter of getting better. And I think we've seen him already get better off the field with dealing with the media. You're pumped, man. You know, <laughs> I know you. you. You you like to get a sense of people from just like watching how they conduct themselves. And yeah. you really got to see Nick Sirianni in, in action. And I, I feel like you you walked away a more confident man. Yeah. And I, and I like the fact that you're able to kind of lay eyes on him in person and see him and see how he acts and see how he interacts. And, I, and I'll say I, I was following him as much as I could because – during this mini camp on Friday, the receiver was were right in front of us. So Devontae Smith was, you know, an arm length away from where we were allowed to be on the field. So naturally, all your eyes are drawn there. Uh, but I was trying to find Sirianni moving around the field, and that guy was all over the place. He was with every single position group. He went down to the offensive lineman, which was on the very far field. He went over to the defense, which was even further away from the offensive lineman. And he was he was jogging back and forth, and he was keeping tabs on every position group. And, you know, I was trying to think if I saw Doug Peterson ever do that. And I'm sure he did. I didn't follow it, uh, you know, as closely as I did. And it was 2016 when he took the field for the first time. But, you know, Doug was obviously more in tune with the offense. I'm not sure how much interaction he had with the defense. But I think Nick Sirianni is going to be involved in every single piece uh, of, of this team, offense, defense, and special teams. And he's going to get a, a, a bird's eye view of each group. He's going to be floating among all the position groups. So, I tried to keep an eye on that while those receivers, Trayvon Grimes, who, you know, I really think is going to uh, be a factor on this roster. Oh. Uh, you know, uh, Jamon Osborne, I'm not sure how I'm saying that. Jamon Osborne was there. He's a big guy. But, you know, we were all watching the receivers. Devontae Smith, all eyes were on him uh, right in front of us, uh, even to the point where I didn't really notice Kenny Gainwell a whole lot. The running backs were somewhere else. I didn't really watch the defense too much to see – uh, Zach McPherson. Uh, I watched a lot of Devontae Smith, and I was keeping an eye on the linemen too with Landon Dickerson. You know, going back to that Nick Sirianni point of him going around each position group and you focusing on that, yeah, I think that does spiral back to what you were saying earlier. You know, you kind of, as, as you said in previous episodes, if anybody remembers, you kind of connected with Doug his first season in Philadelphia because the passing of his father, and uh, you were able to relate to him. And I feel like you had a better sense of Doug Peterson going into his first rookie minicamp than you did with Nick Sirianni. We don't know him. Like, this is such the unknown with this pandemic. And, you know, you got to know him through Zooms. It, that, that's not knowing a person. That's just meeting them through Zoom conferences and just speaking to a computer screen and hearing them back through the, the audio. Like, you actually got to see this guy in person. So, of course, you're in awe. I think everybody else is probably in the same facet of, let's see what this guy's about. I mean, we don't know this young head coach that's coming to replace that Super Bowl waiting head coach that Philadelphia just jettisoned out of here. Like he, he brings like this such mystery to him and we're so drawn in. I think that's why you were able to laser focus into him and, and notice something like that because I mean, people are going to hear this and you're going to be like, wow, like 
that's going to be something to take away. Like Nick Sirianni seems like he is the guy. People are going to con- get confident when they hear you say that. But it's also, I, I do, I, it's not that we're not saying that Doug didn't do that. We're just saying, you know, maybe Nick Sirianni is more in tune and trying to learn each position group as he is, you know, a young head coach, a first time play caller. So we'll see. I, I, I love it. Yeah. And, and I wrote a story about how he was kind of groomed for this moment, I think. You know, from the time he was a young, uh, four years old, he went to practices with his father, who was a coach. He, he played footballs with, with his brothers. I mean, his whole family is football based. So, I mean, he has had this, this long history of being around the game and, and knowing what it's like to deal with people, what it's like to, uh, you know, implement plays, what it's like to look at players and understand what their skill set is. So, you know, I think this was kind of the moment that he was groomed for. The Eagles might have something with, with uh, Sirianni and this young staff of his. I mean, we haven't uh, had any words yet with Shane Steichen or uh, Jonathan Gannon or any of the assistants. I'm hoping that comes up at some point during uh, this OTA period at the end of the month or early June. There's the mandatory mini camp June 8th, I believe it begins. Uh, and hopefully they'll make those assistants available. I suspect that they will and we'll be able to kind of even get a better idea of what this staff is going to look like because you know, let's face it, we all know this, that you bring these players in and you're all excited about the draft and you get these named players, but now it's time to take that next step and turn them over to the assistant coaches and the head coach and, you know, see what they can do with them, you know, see how they can mold them into any kind of scheme uh, and help them reach the uh, potential that led to them being drafted or brought in as undrafted free agents in the first place. Yeah, I'm excited about these coaches because the top coaches have all been a part of huge developmental processes. You know, Nick Sirianni's been a part of developing Michael Pittman, Jonathan Taylor, uh, so on and so forth over there in Indianapolis, especially as offensive linemen that they have. Quentin Nelson is the best guard in the NFL, in my opinion. Ryan Kelly, one of the best centers. Braves with a great right tackle, so on and so forth. And then you look at what he did with Keenan Allen. Huge instrumental part of the Keenan Allen developmental process. And Keenan Allen and Phil Rivers talk very highly of Nick Sirianni. Yeah. When you look at St. Seichen, what he just came from was Justin Herbert's historic rookie season as a quarterback, and he inherited that quarterback coming through a pandemic. You yeah. know, that's insane. And he wasn't even supposed to start. It was supposed to be Tyrod. And all of a sudden, they throw in Justin Herbert, and he has an insane rookie season for a rookie quarterback. Yeah. And then you look at Jonathan Gannon. I mean, in Minnesota, what they were able to do with Anthony Harris, an undrafted free agent, and turn him into one of the better center fuel safeties in the NFL. Uh, whole Kenny Moore. Kenny Moore is the best nickel corner in the NFL, if you ask me. And what he did in Indianapolis with him, huge. And Xavier Rhodes' comeback story was phenomenal. TJ Carey also was a you know not a, a big time name, but a borderline starter for that team. He played above his capabilities in Jonathan Gannon's defensive backfield. So I'm excited. I am excited to see those guys are a huge part of the development process. Uh, be in charge of the Philadelphia Eagles because that's the one thing that this this coaching staff you know. Besides Carson Wentz's huge 2017 season and the, you know, Miles Sanders home run threats, you haven't really seen much from the developmental process when they get these young guys in. So right. I'm excited to see what these coaches can do with that. But moving on, we got to get into Devontae Smith. And before we start, if you haven't heard Devontae Smith's interview with Giovanni on Philly Sports with Giovanni that we f- featured here on Eagles Unfiltered, please go tune into that right after this episode. That was phenomenal. I mean, listening to Devontae Smith and Giovanni just go back and forth and then to hear that. Devontae really motivate Giovanni because both of them always get criticized for their size. So I, I thought it was phenomenal. It was a great, great little little ten minute episode that you guys definitely should tune into. But yeah, yeah, he talked about his number, why he picked number six. He, 
everything. He, he talked about has he had any cheesesteaks. I mean, he he he's good at breaking it down to a personal level. You know, he gets beyond just what's going on on the field, and he and he has a, a, a good eye or understanding of how to get you know to that next level with a, a player, and that's the personal level. You know, guys aren't always willing to talk about themselves. Uh, but Giovanni gets it out of him, and he really gets, uh, you know, some personal answers from Devontae Smith. Just, you know, fantastic job by him, really. Right. That's the best thing about Giovanni's show is because in a, in a world where sports media is so regurgitated sometimes with just asking the same type of questions and getting the same type of info and focusing on one topic, Giovanni's the point of view on his episodes is completely different, and he gets to the personal level of players. And that's what, when I grew up, that's how I wanted to know players. That's how I wanted to know Donovan McNabb. I wanted to know like how, why he loved his mother so much. I wonder what made him the football player that he was because he was a basketball player at Syracuse. What made him fuel him to be a football player? Like that's the stuff I cared about. And mm-hmm. Giovanni reaches those points, those players in his episodes. So right. really sports Giovanni, you're probably already listening to it, but great, great stuff from Giovanni as always. So Ed, seeing Devontae Smith in person though, I mean, that's gotta be a huge different feel. I mean, it's one thing is to say, Hey, this guy's really small on camera or on or on TV, but I mean you're you're standing next to the guy now. You're you're your feet away from him. What were their initial impressions? Well it's hard not to look at, you know, his his the structure of his body. He is very, very thin and those legs are, you know, I've seen, you know, thicker toothpicks to be honest with you. And, you know, it was funny, you know, Gary Cobb, you know, we're, we're I'm standing next to him and he says, Man, he needs to get a pair of sweatpants and cover those legs. <laughs> You know, it was pretty funny, but, uh, yeah, that, that's, that's concerning, you know, yeah. I mean, but he had those skinny legs all through his Alabama career, um, Mm. and and no problems. So, you know, I just hope in the long term he's the answer. I'm really looking forward. And I know we talked about this off the air that the the size thing is a concern and uh, I'm done worrying about it. I worried about it in the pre-draft process. I'm really looking forward now to the excitement that he brings, what he can bring, uh, to a Nick Sirianni based offense. Um, so that was one thing that struck me. And then probably the second thing was just how, how, you know, graceful he seems, how effortless it looks to him when he's running, uh, his patterns and, uh, how he puts the time in and he doesn't really, you know, just kind of take a, a rep off. You know, we only watched the individual drills. We didn't see the team part of the drills on Friday. Um, but in just the time that we saw him, and again, they were right in front of us. So we really watched. You know, he just makes it look effortless. And then when he released off the line and went deep, he just kind of glides. You know, he looked like he had this gliding motion to him, made it look very easy, and then looks the ball right into his hands. And I will say I did video a drop. He had a drop on his second throw of the uh, of the day. Um, but, you know, listen, that's going to happen. Uh, you know, obviously everybody was focused on him. Um, but he, I didn't see him drop another pass in the time we were there. So, um, it won't be his last drop. I'm sure you just hope they don't happen in a game. I don't think they will. He's known for his hands uh, and his concentration level. So that was another thing was just that athleticism and that effortlessness that he brought uh, to the field and, and his and, the, and his legs and his, his frame being so small. And then when you put him against guys like the Osborne, like I mentioned, and uh, Grimes, who were 6'2", 6'4", he looks, you know, he doesn't look as big, obviously, but uh, I'm excited to see what he can bring, you know, during training camp this summer and then once the season gets started in September. I'm I'm really excited to see this guy work. I hope long term he pans out with this physique of his. I don't think he's a guy that you want to add, 
you know, 15, 20 pounds to. I think maybe if you pack on 10 and then let him lose weight a little bit as the season goes on, maybe you lose five of that. But I don't think he's a guy you want to add a lot of weight to. I think you want to maybe pack on 10 pounds and, uh, and then go from there. Yeah, they won't. Yeah, it's going to be like you just said, the the first part where he gains weight and then he loses it periodically throughout the season because you're playing football and that's what happens. Yeah, right. that's, exactly, that's exactly how it's going to go in my opinion too. But, you know, I don't have to tell you this, and I don't have to tell anybody this that's listening because if, you, if you're listening to this show, you obviously love football this much to listen to a football podcast, but size has never def- defined talent in the NFL. It just doesn't happen. It, it's never happened in the history of football. Either you're, you're big and, and you're good, or you're small and you're good. It's gonna happen either way. Or you're gonna you're or you're big and you're bad and you're 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 small and you're bad. That's just how it goes. That's that's the life of the NFL. I've seen Marvin Harrison come out and be one of the best wide receivers I've ever laid eyes on. Chad Johnson, same thing. And those guys are frail. Uh, and then I've seen big guys, really big guys like Kelvin Benjamin, have to try out a tight end for the New York Giants and switch the position completely. So I I'm I'm size. You know, talent isn't defined by size. That's all I got to say to that. And that's why I'm not worried about it. We'll see how it goes. Obviously, the longevity of his NFL career is going to be in question throughout. Uh, and if he does get injured, the this going to go right back to Eagles medical staff because he was never injured at Alabama. So I'm going to be like, what the heck are you guys doing now to him? Yeah. I know Lan- you got, we're giving you guys these projects with Landon Dickerson and whatnot, but come on, relax. <laughs> Listen, I'm I'm going to say this too is at practice they really went through the stretching. You know, they spent a lot of time, like 15 minutes, on on stretching and loosening up. And I'm not sure that's because they've been off the field for so long, or if it's because they, you know, this is now year two of Ted Rath kind of running this program, and there was a lot of soft tissue injuries last year. So you know, we'll have to keep an eye on how this stretching program goes they might spend more time doing this kind of thing to get the muscles loose uh to get them prepared and and you know hopefully that works and especially in a guy like Devonte's case uh you know you're gonna have to stretch these muscles out and keep these tissues limber so you're not tearing these muscles or coming up with the soft tissue injuries that they had the last few years so um i will say that that was another noticeable thing about the mini camp friday was they did spend in my recollection, more time stretching than they have in the past. And again, maybe that's because they hadn't been on the field uh, for so long, but it, it was good to see, to be honest. It's kind of a boring thing to watch, but, you know, it's nice to see that them, you know, putting the work in on, on getting loose and stretching out the, uh, you know, the tissues and the, the, the ligaments and all that stuff. Maybe a little bit of both. You yeah. Know? It, it has been a long period of time since they played, you get really got it on the field, be conditioned and, you know, no combine or anything, some right. serious. So, I think that goes into it as well, but I mean, that does make sense. That does make a lot of sense too, because there was a lot of soft tissue, and not even that. Not even just the Eagles and the NFL in general last year. Mm-hmm. So that, that does make sense. But interesting little side note there, Landon Dickerson. Though I mean, it's hard to project how he gets on the field this year because I don't believe Isaac he takes Isaac Samuel's job with Brandon Brooks' contract situation. I first originally thought when they drafted Dickerson, you know, maybe this is Nevin Mathis situation where they, you know. We, we love you, Brooks. You're great, but you've been injured. We got to, you know, start to move on off you. But the contract states that he has to be there right now. And he has to be on the team this year, it looks like, to me, at least in my opinion. So I don't see a, a year one starting point for Landon Dickerson. That's not a bad thing. No. I know a lot of fans are, aren't happy with that, but I don't understand when the perception got to the fans where your your draft picks have to be day one starters. I need them to be starters. 
not day one. I need them to be long-term starters. And if Landon Dickerson doesn't start day one, that doesn't mean anything to me because he, he's one of the best. I thought he was the best center in the draft. I really did. I I honestly, and I, I, I comped him to the Eagles in my third round, the first mock draft that we did for sports. Illustrated. I mocked him to the third round because of the injuries though. Mm -hmm. I really thought because of the injuries he would drop and I'm not going to kill Howie for taking him at 37 and, and you know, that high. Uh, I I know it was a really high for others and I I understand why the injury history is damning, but I mean, this guy is insane. I thought he was better than Ryan Kelly was when Ryan Kelly was Alabama and Ryan Kelly was the first round pick to the Indianapolis Colts and going to protect Carson once this year and one of the better centers in the NFL. I believe Landon Dickerson could be the same. And it's funny because you know, Jason Kelsey is an anomaly. Everybody everybody thinks, you know, centers have to be that size because Jason Kelsey's been dominating that area for the Eagles forever. But no, his size and being how great he is as a center is an anomaly. You want that big guy like Landon Dickerson. He fits that Ryan Kelly module, and that's what Nick Sirianni had in Indianapolis. And he, not only that, and, and San Diego, they had Nick Harwood there for years. Mm-hmm. And then he started getting banged up, and then they went through just center purgatory, per se. So Sirianni knows that you need a legitimate center and a long-term starting center uh, for your quarterback. And that's why they valued it so high. And they took it at 37 in his first draft with the Philadelphia Eagles. And Landon Dickinson's going to replace Jason Kelsey at center. I don't know if he's going to start year one at guard. I doubt it unless there's injuries. But Landon Dickerson, for the I love that pick because, again, I think he's going to be better than Ryan Kelly. And that's huge if he is. Yeah, well, I'll say at the, at the rookie minicamp, when I first laid eyes on Dickerson, I was, you know, my jaw dropped at just how big that guy is. I mean, you look at the numbers on paper, six six three thirty, but then you actually see that and you think, holy goodness, this guy's a center. And I can't wait to see when Kelsey and him are standing next to each other, the size difference, because it's going to be immense. I mean, oh, it's so different. It, it is so different. Dickerson, you really can't understate how much of an anomaly Jason Kelsey is. Yeah. Like, that's not normal for the center to be that good and that powerful for his size, just yeah. like Devontae Smith. Well, and and listen, I was surprised, and I asked Nick this afterward, Nick Sirianni, this after the practice was what the plan was for Dickerson, because when we saw him, he was jogging, he had his helmet, he was dressed. Um, it, it looked like he was ready to participate, uh, in whatever they were going to throw at him. But, you know, I asked him what the rehab status was and he said, he's just going to do the walkthrough stuff. But, you know, to me, you saw Dickerson kind of jogging, which is good. I mean, he, this guy just tore his ACL back in December, uh, you know, and here he is five, six months later and he's already doing these things. But listen, if he's not ready to uh, take the field in September and, and you want to give him more time for this knee to heal and for this graft of the ACL to heal, then that's okay because he, he you don't have to rush him out there. You got guys in place, and like you said, unless there's an injury or some surprise trade of Brandon Brooks or you know you know something, if we're Siamalu might lose his job. I mean, you, you don't have to really worry about that. You have guys in place, veteran guys on that O line, uh, where you don't have to rush Landon Dickerson. Right. You know, you I can take your time good. with him. Yeah, I mean, I but. It was just so striking to see how big this guy is. I mean, I was – he looks like a tackle. You know, he looks like an offensive tackle. He's got that kind of size. So, um, you know, you put him as your – you know, the anchor to your offensive line in the future, uh, that's pretty imposing. That's pretty an impressive thing. I I don't even know at this point 
I think you're right. I think it's going to be his wait and see approach with Landon Dickerson because I don't think they're going to rush him when there's no need to. No. There really yeah. is no need to. Because when you have Nate Herbig and Jack Driscoll, there's really no need to. I, I don't know if he would even pick putting Dickerson in over those guys if a situation was to arise Whereas, say, Amalo gets injured or Brandon Brooks gets injured or they get rid of Brandon Brooks. I just don't see it happening. I know they were shopping Brandon Brooks, but I don't know, man. With that contract, yeah. I just don't see it happening. It's a pretty big so, contract. Yeah, we'll and, see how that yeah, goes. Yeah, and, you know, you have other guys, um, you know, the, the undrafted free agent from last year. Uh, I can't remember his name right now, but, um, you know, he's back. Uh, they brought in a, a free agent, an undrafted free agent from Indiana, Harry Kreider, as a center. Um, I, I mean, they have uh, some guys that can play center if need be. I mean, none that are as good as Dickerson. But again, it's the point is you don't have to rush them. I mean, you have guys here that if you need to put a Band-Aid on it uh, and you don't want it to be Dickerson, then you can go with some other options here. So um, I just think that he's not missing games anyways. I'm not worried. Yeah, yeah. Kelsey. going to have to take that guy off in a stretcher to get him out of a game. How about it, man? He came out like late in the first half of one game last year with some elbow uh, extension that he had, you know, overextended elbow, I think it was. But he was right back out there in the second half. He started, I think, he's coming into the year with 104, 105 straight NFL starts at a position that is very, very demanding. Um, I mean, to me, Jason Kelsey, you know, he's he's a borderline Hall of Famer. I think he needs to be in the discussion at whatever point in time he decides to call it a career that, you know, he could get consideration uh, for a place in the hall of fame. Absolutely. That's hilarious that you thought of backup center. And I didn't even think of that. My mind didn't even go there at all. Yeah. I, I'm not even worried about it. Right, right. That's, my mind didn't even go there at all. I'm yeah. thinking all, nothing but the guard position. Right. Right. Understandable. Yeah. But, you know, Milton Williams is interesting because, you know, that was the famous, the infamous uh, Tom Donahue being upset with Howie Roseman, not taking the, and the, the story behind that is they didn't take a Lee McNeil, the defense tackle that went to the Detroit Lions, who I love too as well. I'm not going to lie. I'm not going to lie. I might be siding with Tom Donahue on this one because I really thought that guy reminded me a lot of Grady Jarrett and Geno Atkins. Milton yeah. Williams, on the other hand, not so much. I'm not incredibly impressed with Milton Williams. I think, you know, the comps to Malik Jackson are fair. That is incredibly fair. And, you know, Malik Jackson is a middling player. He was... I think he was good in Denver and then got overpaid for being good and never lived up to being what initially what he is thought of being. He's a, he's a decent player, but I mean, he's on what is this is fourth team now, fifth team, Denver, Jacksonville, Eagles, Cleveland. Yeah. Fourth team. So, I mean, he's a good player. He's not great. And he really didn't start for the Eagles much. I mean, I know he got injured as soon as they signed him, but uh, they, they jumped at Javon Hargrave when they got the chance to. Malik Jackson didn't pop into their mind at all. So if that's what Milton Williams is, okay, that's good, but that's not great, and he's not going to survive his rookie contract with the Eagles, that means, because neither did Malik with Denver. So we'll see. You know, Ole McNeil, I thought that's a player who, if you do move on from Fletcher Cox in a couple years because of his age and contract, you you brought in a great guy to replace him. Or if you decide that Javon Hargrave's not as what you thought he was, you brought in a great guy to replace him. Milton Williams, I'm not too sure about. So we'll see. Uh, that's a personal opinion, Ed. So what did you think, man? What do you think of Milton Williams when you saw him? Well, what, what don't you like about Milton Williams? What What is your concerns as far as, I don't you think know, he's what? a starting type, you know, interior rusher. I, yeah. I really think in this defense, 
when you're looking at either you have to eat space, which, you know, I think Williams can do. That's, that's, that's a good thing that he brings to the table because, you know, I'm going back to all these defenses and I, the defenses that are going in my head are what Indianapolis has done the last couple of years and what has Minnesota has done. And they've gotten their interior guys just eat up space mm-hmm. for their edge rushers to thrive in. And if million, if that's what they want Milton Williams to do, that which on the end is expecting of his defensive tackles, fine. You're going to get that from him. You're especially going to get it from Javon Hargrave. That's that's number one what you're going to get from Javon Hargrave. And, you know, Indianapolis was interested in Javon Hargrave before the Roger, I mean, no, excuse me, uh, the DeForest Buckner trade. Right. They were interested in Javon Hargrave. So it makes sense that he is going to fit this defense. I think he's going to play better than he did under Jim Schwartz's system. We'll see. But I think he is. So the Milton Williams pick makes sense from the Eden Space thing, but I really love when your interior rushers can cause havoc and get after the quarterback like a Fletcher Cox can. And I think Lee McNeil could have done that. That's the only reason why I have I mean indifferent about the pick. It's nothing against Milton Williams. I just thought they had a, a chance for a better player at that position, but they decided to get another six round pick. Yeah, it's good. I mean, listen, yeah, we're going to follow the production that both Williams and McNeil give as their careers start to begin here. But oh, of um, course, we're, we always look like like to get the negatives on Harry Roseman. We like to focus the laser <laughs> focusing on those and chalk it up in the in the pros and cons aisle, mostly the cons. But you know, I'm not going to kill Howie for it. I understand draft picks, especially when you're thinking about. I think when Howie went into this draft, he's thinking like, how can I get enough picks in the background so that I can trade for 2022 picks. And he only got one. I think he got it was a 2022 fifth. But I mean, you know, that's where his head was at, I think, mostly. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll see. And they also had a, you know, this draft was mostly them filling out their depth chart because they couldn't sign that many guys. Right. So I understand having that many picks and trying to fill up the depth chart as well. But again, I really like the Lehman. Yeah. I, you know, I, I, I like Williams. Um, first I like is the attitude that he's shown on the, I mean, we've had him on uh, two zoom calls right after he got drafted then. And again, prior to uh, the rookie camp beginning. And I just like the attitude that he shows and the moxie and the, this desire that he has to come in and play well. Uh, and to, he's got this passion for the game and, and that goes a long way. Now, does he have the talent? I, I think he does. I mean, you look at his, how he tested at his pro day uh, and his training at Exos leading up to it. And, you know, some of the numbers he put up in that uh, forum were better than Aaron Donald's. And, you know, he's got good quickness, good interior quickness that he can penetrate and get up the field. He might not be, be that big run stuffer guy like uh, Lee McNeil is, but, um, you know, he's a good penetrating guy. I mean, he had five and a half sacks last year in 10 games for an interior defensive lineman, um, 10 tackles for loss. Uh, and again, that, there's that comp with Aaron Donald. Aaron Donald's 6'1", 284. Milton Williams is 6'3", 285. Uh, has similar uh, numbers from a speed so- from a speed point of view. Some of them are better. Athletic numbers, some of them are better than Aaron Donald. I'm not saying he's going to be the next Aaron Donald, but you know, I could certainly see why the Eagles liked him. Um, to draft him in the third round. Now, you hope he's he's not a Davion Taylor who was a complete project last year when he came in the third round. Oh, no. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think Milton Williams, you know, and you can even say the same about the guy they got in the sixth round from USC, Marlon uh, Tuitopolo, who, yes. um, you know, he's another guy on that defensive line. I, the Eagles needed to rebuild a little bit on that defensive line, especially at the tackle spot. Now, this wasn't a great class. It wasn't considered a great class 
of defensive tackles, but I think they found two guys that can play. And I think will, at least in Williams case, I think he will be in that defensive tackle rotation uh, this season. Um, He's DT three. Yeah. I mean, listen, behind Cox and and Hargrave, you have Ridgeway, you have uh, Raekwon Williams uh, from Michigan state an undrafted kid now coming back for his second year. You have T Y McGill who, um, you know, he, I think he had a sack last year. He was pretty active. So, you know, there's no reason why he can't get into that mix. Hassan Ridgeway, of course, has been injured. He hasn't played more than seven games in each of the last two years since he came to Philadelphia from the Colts. Um, so there, there's opportunity for Williams to, to, to shine. And I, and I think, you know, like I said, I think he's going to be on that, uh, in that rotation when the year starts. And there's a lot I like about him. I can certainly see your point you know, being concerned and wishing that Lee McNeil was here. But uh, there are a lot of things I like about Milton Williams. And I really like, again, going back to the interviews with him, he's really, uh, you know, he really does seem to have a real passion for the game and a desire to be uh, a great player. Yeah, his measurables are insane, though. Yeah, uh, and his measurables. They really are insane. I, I just hope it translates because most of the times when the Eagles get into these guys with these measurables and they never translate. They never find a way to translate. But again, different coaching staff. So I'll get yeah. a bit of it now. Because right, there's there I did say all that stuff, but there is a lot to Milton Williams game to be excited about. And again, he is the third most talented defensive tackle going into this team right now. I like Hassan Ridgeway a lot, but Milton Williams is better. So he he's going to be DT three right out the gate, I believe. Yeah. And Tracy Rocker is your new DT, uh, you know, defensive line coach, defensive tackle group. Um, you know, he had a successful career at Auburn, went into the NFL, but, you know, he's an experienced guy. He's one of the, one of the older guys on the staff, you know, of a staff of mostly 30 somethings rocker, I believe is uh 50 plus maybe. Um, uh, so he brings a lot of experience. So again, like we talked about to start the show, it's all what these guys do, these coaches do with these players now. I mean, you know, it's now on the coaches to tap into that potential and make sure they're living up to that potential and to develop that potential. Um, so now it's on Tracy Rocker and because I think Milton Williams has the potential. I really do. Good. Uh, Zach McPherson, you know, fits embodies what Jonathan Gannon wants in a corner. This is the first handpicked corner that he was able to bring in outside of Jakari Taylor, uh, who is really going to be a camp body in my opinion. So, Zach McPherson, what's your thoughts? Because I you hear it, here's a guy who can play the inside, the outside who's going to need to be penciled in as an inside guy in the NFL, but can win on the outside too, as well as he showed his Texas Tech tape. Really, 2019, I really, really urge people to go back and watch his 2019 film. Uh, you can find, I think, three of his games on YouTube in 2019. Unstoppable. Gave up only one touchdown that year. Played over 600 cover snaps. Took four picks. A ton of pass breakups. That guy was after that year, and he was... He was moving all around. He wasn't just playing on the outside. He was playing on the inside, too. And, again, he wasn't 2020, but he fell off a little bit last year, which is why he fell to the fourth round. I think Jonathan Gannon can tap into what he was showed in 2019, move him all around like he did developing Kenny Moore. Again, Kenny Moore, undrafted free agent that Jonathan Gannon developed, became one of the better – I mean, really is the best slot corner in the NFL, if you ask me. Uh, but he also plays inside and outside in Indianapolis – well, he'll be doing the same. That, that's what we'll be asking of Zach McPherson. I know that we have Avante Maddox on the roster. I know a lot of fans are crying for that cornerback too, Ed. But uh, I'm 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 okay with the wait and see approach. You know, the Eagles went into that 2017 season with that Super Bowl winning team. They didn't get Ronald Darby until almost the pre. I think the week before the preseason, first week of preseason. 
Uh, they traded Jordan Matthews. You know, they have an asset like Zach Ertz. They can get another cornerback if they need to. Right now, you need to see what you have and the guys that you have, and then you made that determination when it, you're getting close to training camp. Yeah, you know, McPherson, I, I certainly wouldn't want to be in his shoes right now. There's a lot of pressure on him. He was the only cornerback taken in a, in a, in a draft where you thought the Eagles were going to take at least two, you know, and now he's coming in as a fourth-round guy, and he's been asked about it over and over again about how he feels about that. Is he up for the challenge? And, you know, like I said, I, I wouldn't want to be in his shoes. Um, you know, I think he made a good move. Tran- you know, he was a grad transfer from Penn State. Uh, and he talked about that, you know, the Big Ten's not exactly a pass-happy league, whereas you're going to Texas Tech where it's a, a very – Big 12 is very pass-happy. You get a lot of four- and five-wide receiver sets that you have to uh, defend against. So I think it was a good move. And you, you mentioned his 2020 numbers not being as good. You know, 2020 is a weird season to evaluate just based on, you know, what we all know about the pandemic and how things went with the college football season. And, you know, you don't know what players are going through mentally in that kind of a year. So um, you kind of have to take 2020 with a grain of salt and look at that 2019 season. Um, You know, where the Eagles kind of have him ticketed, uh, we'll see. I mean, I'm not really sure at this point what they're going to do with him, but um, you know, getting back to the mini camp again, you know, they, they brought in as a tryout player, this Obi uh, Melifanu from uh, Connecticut, who uh, is combine warrior. Yeah. I, I, uh, man, if it wasn't for that combine, he was, he's not a second round pick. Yeah. I mean, he was a second round and he was a safety and now they're listing him as a cornerback and he's six, three. Played corner. He, he played corner at UConn. Yeah. Did. But you know, I think he came into the league with the safety expectations. No, he did. No, you're right. You are. And, and now right. he's yeah, he's back being listed as a cornerback. Now he's a tryout guy. They haven't signed him or anything. You know, we're we're talking here on Sunday morning. Um, you know, they still have another afternoon practice Sunday, and then we'll see if they sign him. Uh, you know, he certainly has the length to be a corner. Um, I didn't watch, like I said earlier, the position group too too much, if at all. That 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 defensive group, they were kind of on the far field and. The receivers were right in front of our eyes with Devontae Smith. So, you know, a lot of attention was focused there. And then on Sirianni, seeing how he interacted, uh, that was kind of my main focus. And we only had 20 minutes. So I didn't really get a, a look too much at McPherson in the camp or uh, Malafanu. But it'll be interesting to see if the Eagles go ahead and sign Malafanu. And if they do, then they saw something they liked, uh, maybe more than just his size, 6'3", 210. But, you know, he's somebody to pay attention to. And then they signed another uh, DB. Um, yeah. So, I mean, you know, they are addressing the position. Um, I think we talked a little bit about Avante Maddox earlier, you know, listen, if I'm Avante Maddox, I'm not so sure I'm feeling real safe about my job right now. I know that, uh, you know, he was a fourth round pick in 2018. Um, but you know, he's really got to come in and perform this summer. uh, I think if he wants to keep that job, even though it's a position that the Eagles are a little bit light at, I just think that, you know, there's a body of work you can look at now with Avante, and if they don't see it matching up with this new staff, then, you know, he could find himself a casualty of the offseason. Absolutely. I, I completely agree with that. I, I actually really agree with that, absolutely, for sure. I don't think a lot of people are talking about that or even think about it yet because of what we're looking at the corner situation. But, I mean, you still have you, you still have a lot of time before football, meaningful yeah. football is being played. Right. A lot of things can happen. And I know a lot of the Eagles fans are impatient, but – 
uh, I, I'm giving that some time. I'm, I'm yeah. giving that to the doubt. And you mentioned the trade, Connor. You know, they traded for Ronald Darby back in August of 2017. You know, they saw that deficiency. And, you know, we could see something like that again. Uh, you know, once teams get into camp and they start to see what they have, maybe somebody shakes loose that becomes available. I'm not sure who that would be. You know, maybe uh, C.J. Henderson in Jacksonville. Right. Uh, you know, they drafted Tyson Campbell in the second round. The Jaguars did. Yep. They have Sidney Jones. Yeah, you and I <laughs> talked about that. I know. Yeah. I mean, I know it'd be crazy because one year after the Jacksonville, but again, that's a that's a whole new coaching staff. And then, yeah, I'm pretty sure they could use a tight end. I mean, they're so desperate. They brought in team Tim Tebow in Jacksonville, and you know, they have Zach Ertz sitting here. Well, you uh, Griffin and free agency do a huge deal. You brought back yeah. Jones. You have Trey Hurden, who's actually a pretty good nickel corner as well. Yeah, play outside inside, and you, then like you just said, they drafted Tyson Campbell. So who knows? That might be one right. guy. And I don't know. If fans are going to be like, "No way, guys!" They just drafted <laughs> CJ Henderson. But I mean, I've seen Josh Rosen get traded a year after he got drafted. Yeah. It's, not, it's not insane, especially when the new coaching staff redrafts at your position again. We'll another, see. another another guy's Greedy Williams in Cleveland. You know, I yeah, mean, Greedy Williams makes sense too. Kind yeah. of disappointed. Now, you know, Cleveland's in the same situation as Philadelphia. They're they're not a lot of depth there, uh, but they did draft. I think they drafted Greg Newsom, um, another corner. They have uh, Denzel Ward there. I mean, where does Greedy fit? Uh, you know, so if you're Howie Roseman and you have this relationship with their GM Andrew Burry, who worked in Philadelphia with Howie for a year, I mean, you know, maybe Greedy Williams is a name you, you kind of make a phone call on. But oh, he's definitely on the outs with Cleveland. They signed Troy Hill too from yeah. uh, the Rams as well, That's and they have a very defensive coordinator. So it, I don't think Greedy Williams has a future in Cleveland right now. So yeah, I mean, uh, David Nagotu doesn't really have much of a future in Cleveland. I know Austin Hooper's had that huge deal. I don't know if they would take Ertz, but again, that's a player you can acquire without Ertz being in it. Yeah. Anyways, so I understand. There's going to be a corner out there. I think so. That a team's going to trade. Yep. It's, it's just going to happen. They're, they're going to be open to trading their corner, and the Eagles are going to come calling, and they have an asset in Ertz or draft picks. They have a huge surplus of draft picks this year. So we'll see. I, th- I don't think I'm as concerned as fans are of cornerback, too. And I'm not crying for Steven Nelson. I think Steven Nelson's a good player, fine player. Would love to bring him in. But I mean, in the 14 team bidding war, I'm sorry. I don't know if the Eagles have a, have, have a chance in that one. I'm not really sure. If the opportunity is obviously there for Steven Nelson, but I'm more confident in this cornerback room than I was in 2017. And I think you would be too. I think yeah. anybody would be. Your corners were Jalen Mills, cornerback one, Patrick Robinson, your free agency addition, and then you drafted City Jones, who wasn't going to play, and Russell Douglas, who you were assuming was going to be your cornerback too because you drafted him in the third round. I'm more confident now than I am then because I have Darius Slay. So I'm not freaking out yet. And my safety position's locked up. Because Rodney McLeod's saying he's playing week one. You saw Anthony Harris. I'm not, I'm not overly concerned about quarterback two yet. They're going to make a move there. Give yeah. it time. It's May 16th. They don't play till September 12th. So, you exactly. know, a lot of time between anything now. Else to, what else? Is there anything else that rookie mini can best look out to you? Because my one takeaway from, and I know I want, we'll talk on more of the draft picks because, again, we're back. Eagles filter, unfiltered is rolling. Ready to hit a bunch of episodes, get content out there. We're going to talk as many players as you possibly can, especially Jacoby Stevens, because I'm a fan. But is there anything else that stood out to you? Because the one thing that stood out to me that I'll leave it off of is that we're going to see a stand-up edge rusher for the Eagles this year. There's going to be a a, a guy. I don't think it's going to be Jordan Avery. He's not that good of a player. I don't think he's going to make the team. But there's going to be either it's going to be Patrick Johnson, who's a seventh-round pick, would be an anomaly, or they sign somebody, or they bring that guy in. 
That's a guy that they trade for. That's a guy they look for. But there's going to be a Santa bed rusher for the Eagles this year. Well, there's Derek Barnett, Josh Sweat, Patrick Johnson, and Jannard Avery. Just kind of be one of those guys. That's my one takeaway so far. Yeah, yeah. Well, listen, you know, I'm I'm kind of with you on Avery, but you know, who's to say he's not the guy? I mean, we we saw him do some damage in San Francisco last year, and he might be the guy. I'm just, yeah, not, yeah, I mean, I'm he, not he, he so far, but we'll see. A whole different system, whole yeah. different role. So we'll see. Maybe he does excite. Maybe maybe I look like an idiot. We'll see. But I, I like the production Johnson had at Tulane. Now I know he's a seventh round pick. You know, so you have to temper that a little bit. Right, that's like one player that they've handpicked for that role, other than transitioning Avery from defensive end to that. Like they don't, they they haven't really brought that guy in. I mean, you know, Justin Houston's out there, but the Eagles aren't going to sign Justin Houston. That's not going to happen. That's that guy's on a Super Bowl contending team. Like he might go to the. I think he's looking at the Ravens. Yeah, that's a Super Bowl contending team. So they need to get that guy. Indianapolis had that when they had Justin Houston in that defense. You know. Go back to the roots of that defense. It's a Mike Zimmer defense. Uh, it goes in Dallas. Rod Marinelli brought staples of it. They had the Alden Smiths that they tried. They've had the Robert Quinns that they tried. Those guys are stand-up edge rushers. You know, the Eagles are going to need that guy for this system. Yeah, Daniel Hunter is that for Minnesota with Mike Zimmer. They're going to need that guy. So I, I don't know if they have it yet. But Patrick Johnson's their handpicked guy so far for that. I know he was a seventh round pick. We'll see. But they need to get one of those guys for that role. And they have to perform that role. Stand up edge rusher, linebacking type role. Yeah. And, you know, again, you know, you wonder if Milton Williams, I know they're listing him as a tackle and he's really just playing tackle, but he's a guy that, that's got that short area quickness that has played on the outside. You know, he's got that speed. So, you know, Again, That's why Malik Jackson comps make sense for him. Yeah, I mean, position flexibility, and I think we talked about this a little bit off off the air, was is very important. You know, uh, oh, it's being imperative. able to move inside outside as a cornerback, going from the slot to the outside, and vice versa. You know, Jacoby Stevens brings that linebacker safety flexibility. Maybe he can blitz off the edge a time or two. I don't think it needs to be one guy all the time. I think you have guys whose skill sets match up where you can bring different guys, Johnson, Stevens, maybe Williams. Um, I like your thought about maybe Sweat and Barnett standing up on occasion, uh, you know, on the outside. So, you know, it's a role that can be filled by multiple players. They don't have that one guy, but it doesn't have to be just one guy. It can be different guys keeping an offense off balance because you have guys that you don't know what they're going to do from play to play because they've done different things. Uh, as the season goes on, you're getting these different looks from so many different players that you have to be on your toes all the time as to what they're going to do in different situations. I like that point by you that I, I forgot we spoke of off air that we should great way to end the episode. That's the one thing about this coaching staff that you have to be able to perform well in is position flexibility. Mm-hmm. You know, everybody was locked into a specific set within the Doug Peterson system and the Jim Schwartz system. And that was wrong in the NFL where the league has gone. Whereas they're going to throw the Travis Kelsey at you at the X receiver position. And he's going to beat your five eleven corner and destroy him. Mm-hmm. So on and so forth. Kittle, all these guys, Pitts is going to come in the NFL, not just tight ends anywhere. You need to win in different areas on the field. You can't be locked into one spot. And that's where the Eagles have struggled. They've always had players that can only win in one spot. That's not, going to happen with this defense or with this offense or with this coaching staff. 
So if you're a player that can only win in one spot, you're not going to make this roster, which could be Avante Maddox, what you were saying earlier. Devontae, everybody's worried about where's Devontae Smith? How how can you fit Devontae Smith and Jalen Rager together? Easy. You move them around. The wide position for the Eagles offense going forward is more important than tight end two is now. And that was something that you wouldn't hear before. Mm-hmm. That's not something that that's that's like what? No, the tight end two matters way more than the slot receiver in Doug Pearson's offense. Yeah, that's not the thing anymore. That's not it. The the wide receiver position might mean more than the X, to be honest with you, in Nick Sirianni's system. The slots always have huge production. They're always one of the first looks. You need to win in those certain areas. And if Jalen Rager and, and Devontae Smith win at the Y, then yes, they're they can work together because either one can win at the Z. Yep. And either one can honestly win. I mean, they and so I don't want to say Jalen Rager can yet. He needs to be developed a little bit better. But at times in college, he played perfectly at the X. Again, that's at TCU. But he did play the X. He played very well. He was one of the best contested catches rates in the... I think he had actually the best rate in his draft class, to be honest with you, Ed. Mm-hmm. Devontae Smith does it routinely in the SEC. You know, you can't stop him. These right. guys, you can move them all around. And that's why they drafted him. That's why they felt confident to say Devontae Smith at 10, because... Yes, they have Jalen Rager, who has a similar type skill set, not exactly the same receiver, but you know, not when people think Devontae Smith, they think you need to pair him with like a Julio Jones, not a Jalen Rager. But that's not true. You can in Nick Sirianni's system because you move all around, you rotate guys all around. And, you know, that's the same thing with Jonathan Gannon. You know, Zach McPherson's a great pick. He's probably gonna be penciled in as your nickel corner going forward. But he he can win on the outside, and he's going to need to in John DeGan's defense, and that's what every player is going to have to do going forward. You need to have position flexibility. In a matchup-driven league, the Eagles need to throw their best matchups at you. Mm-hmm. So. Well, I, I that, that's a good point. Um, but I'll, I'll just – my final point would be you, you mentioned what else to jump that at me at the rookie camp, and I'll say number 80. I'm, I'm watching – different players i'm like boy who's number 80 so i look at my roster and number 80 is the the quarterback from buffalo tyree jackson who's con- trying to convert to tight end I, mean, I can't believe that that dude was a quarterback he's six foot seven i mean he's just yeah. just tall i'm like he was a quarterback yeah i remember him at buffalo he was a lot yeah. of you know there's always like this thing on twitter that like i remember this awful white quarterback account that's what they call it it's the account's called awful white quarterback and they would always compare these these quarterback because Logan Thomas, who yeah. plays tight end for Washington football team, was the quarterback at Virginia Tech. Yep. Same thing, ball. same situation. That's why that's what the Eagles are trying to do with Tyree Jackson, is yeah. what Washington football team has successfully done with Logan Thomas. And you know, it took a couple teams to get that from Logan Thomas. Buffalo tried it, didn't work. Arizona tried it, didn't work. And then he went to the Washington football team, and now he's their number one tight end. And he looks really good. Yeah. So that's what they're going to try and do with Tyree Jackson. I hope it works with Tyree Jackson, by the way. Yeah, and you hope uh, it takes – it's a little bit of a quicker – him and Guyer would be great. Yeah, it's, yeah. A, it's a quicker – you hope it's quicker than Thomas's transition. I mean, he, Thomas had a great year for this uh, Washington football team last year. He, he, he sort of started to see that development in his last year or two in Buffalo, uh, and then they let him walk. But, yeah, he's a big guy, and you're going to need a tight end, too, on this team. Um, because they are still going to play personnel under uh, 12 personnel under Sirianni. So yeah, absolutely. You nobody can. expects Ertz to be back. So who's it going to be? You know, you have Dallas Goddard and then who you have Akeem Butler, who's transitioning from receiver, uh, tried to make that, you know, still making that transition. I think this is his second or third year going into that transition. Uh, Jason Kroon, who 
Yeah, I mean, Jason Krum looked like one of those guys that snuck out of the stands and caught the touchdown pass in the game last year. Like, who the heck was that? He caught one pass and went for a touchdown. And then you have a couple guys in the tryout camp. I mentioned Jackson, and they also brought in Jack Stoll from Nebraska, uh, you know, who didn't have a whole lot of uh, receptions at Nebraska. But, you know, he's the guy that you have to put in the mix, too. He was one of the seven undrafted free agents that they brought into camp. So uh, that is just something, in my opinion, that you do have to keep an eye on is that tight end two position um, as we start to roll into the summer here. And, and hopefully we get some OTAs and the mandatory mini camp. Uh, and then we come back in July for the training camp. So Make Richard Rodgers on the Eagles again. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they probably have him on speed dial. He's in their back pocket, uh, still floating out there. If they feel the need after coming out of this camp this weekend and say, gee, Jack Stoll's not the answer or, you know, uh, Tyree Jackson, you know, good luck to you in your transition. Uh, and then maybe they sign Rodgers. But right now, you know, he's not in the mix, but he's on speed dial, I'm sure. He played great last year. Yeah, he was effective, yeah. Didn't really – Inspect to bring up Richard Rogers on the podcast, but I mean, right. you know, it always, always fun little tidbits. Because yeah. they look at Indianapolis, I mean, the only way I think tight end too, if you trade Ertz, you you call Trey Burton, I guess, because Trey Burton's available. Another possibility. I because I, yeah. I don't really know because I I would think you know if Zach Gertz could trade it, Indianapolis is a destination. What would they do with Mo Ali Cox then? But I would think that Mo Ali Cox would want to you want to be your tight end too. You would want to be he would be your Dallas Goddard. And try to replace Zach Ertz eventually because he's still pretty young and still transitioning to tight end from being a basketball player, and he, he looked good. Yeah. You know, then they have uh, who's Doyle? Jack, is it Jack, Jack Doyle? Doyle at this point in his career? Is you yeah. know Brent Selleck. So yeah. it's not really huge. And and to go off of Jack Stoll, that's that's a blocking guy. Yeah. He could make the team for sure if they sign him because they need to. I don't think they have a blocking tight end at all. Right. So that could be a blocking guy, but I mean, other than that, they don't have a legitimate tight end two option. And Tyree Jackson, I, I'm all for that project, though. We'll see how that goes. I am. Yeah, that. he's freaking. I couldn't believe six seven man. I mean, I'm looking at him like, who is number eighty? Like, what? What? Who's this guy? You should you should watch his Buffalo tape, man. He has an arm though. He does have a cannon. He can he can launch it. He's not accurate. He's like Jamarcus <laughs> Russell playing quarterback, but he, he but he can launch it though. That's for sure. Yeah. All right, guys. We're going to end the episode here. Great, great time, Ed, as always. We're going to be back recording, as always. I appreciate the prayers and continued prayers for my mother. Uh, thank you very much, because it is a tough time. We're trying to deal with that as well, and that's why the content hasn't been completely there. But we're back. We're going to be rolling. Ricky Minicamp is here. Excited stuff. Again, si.com slash NFL slash Eagles for nonstop coverage on the Philadelphia Eagles right there on our SI page. John McMullen. Hey, Chris, Carmels, as always, thanks for tuning in. You work hard for your money. Are you sure it's working hard for you? You can be sure with Merowest Credit Union. As a credit union, Merowest is all about people, you and me. So they do the right thing by offering us better rates, greater choices, and better service. Merowest Smart Rewards Checking is a perfect example. It's a checking account that pays you with rates up to 18 times the national average. Really, check it out at merowest.com. And service? Merowest takes pride in what they do. Experience it. Your dreams and Merowest's values just go together. Consider Merowest today. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call. 
clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.